course, Wednesday, and that means Rural Roundup Day. So uh, Andy Thompson has a show between uh, 12 and 1 for all frequencies uh, around the country, uh, barring, of course, uh, Auckland and Wellington, where Staffy still uh, holds sway there. But uh, in terms of uh, what's coming up on Andy's show, he joins us now to preview it. Um, and some, I, I guess, concerning news for Napier people with uh, the loss of some jobs on the basis that one of our... I guess best known companies uh, in terms of uh, carpet in this country, Bremworth, are uh, shutting down their operation by the sound of it, Andy. Smithy, g'day, mate. Yeah, look, um, Cavalier Bremworth, uh, well, their, their, their plant was, or their factory was absolutely decimated in uh, February's Cyclone Gabriel flooding. Um, Chief Executive Greg Smith says they're still doing a really detailed assessment, but it's not looking that great. 147 staff from Napier's plant. Um, now, they've been employed, they've continued to be paid, but um, in the short term, medium to short term, they're actually going to have to redeploy those staff uh, to the other um, Bremworth plants, I think, Whanganui, Papatoi uh, where they've got plants and, and they're going to give them either voluntary redundancy or, or move them across um, and, and not sure unfortunately whether this um, plant will open again. Uh, obviously some fairly long-winded discussions with insurance and it's quite complex. The good thing about um, uh, Greg Smith though and his change where he said um, if you want to supply carpet to New Zealand or basically it's got to be 100% wool um, he is a very very good CEO and looks after his staff really really well. Unfortunate though for the Napier community your, your community Smithy where you know these staff 147 some of them probably been intergenerational with this family for years and years. That's mm. how these factory jobs work, you know, people who have got deep, deep roots in the community. So this is a real blow. Hopefully, um, you know, that, that it doesn't go, but he's flagging that it might. Yeah, well, I suppose it's uh, better news, though, for people in uh, the Whanganui area, to be perfectly well, honest. Um, so. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's always winners and losers. You know, it can be very arbitrary, these sort of things. But, you know, if you live in a community, I know you love your Hawke's Bay. You know, you don't want to move, do you? You love you love living where you live and, and you'll want to stay if you can. If it comes down to jobs and workmates and things, yeah, then you might. But, you know, you and I are fortunate. We get to work from home. It's great. Well, uh, it's true. Absolutely true. Hey, um... In the past, farming's just been farming. You know, you derive your income off uh, whether you're dry stock farming, whether you're dairy farming, etc. And you don't have to think too far out of the square. <coughs> Andy, that's no longer the case, clearly. Um, and particularly, uh, um, you know, you look at uh, styles of cropping, etc. You have to look, you have to diversify so much within your own little niche these days. And there's a new one uh, very much coming to the fore. Oh, no, it's not just happening overnight. It's been around for a little while now, but becoming um, very much a source of income and I'm talking about agritourism here. Mm, it's actually a really, really important of uh, income on, on a lot of farms and a lot of farms are diversifying into agritourism. Uh, a lot of farms have got, you know, a few outbuilding sheds, accommodation that hey, um, which they can put up for, for rent and people can definitely move in. It's a big part of some farms' uh, income and the reason for that is obviously that a lot of farms a, well, there's a couple of reasons. One, people just like showing off farming and they like having visitors come in. You know, you might be a bit of a an area that's a bit off the beaten track and you like have you know like the interaction with people. But the other thing is, it's actually commercially viable with on-farm incomes, profitability being squeezed, obviously high interest rates, falling commodity prices, input prices going up. It's actually a way to generate some extra income. And so, you know, we we did it even on our property back in the mid 2000s, the dairy farm on the west coast. We had a um, self-contained unit. We 
where we had we Airbnb'd it and we had people coming along. It was great. I really enjoyed having those people, and it was quite good, quite good money as well, and and very solid, steady form of income. You're not going to get rich off it, but it's actually something which definitely people are looking at as an option. Um, and some people go into it more than others. You know, some people go the whole hog and do it massively. Uh, others just have a have a small outbuilding or, or you know or maybe a, maybe a shearer's hut or something, which you know out in the back blocks. And, and there's the other option where people do the um, uh, hunting HQ where they actually let out areas where people can come and hunt on their properties, hunt and fish and get paid for that. So you don't need the accommodation, but you can make access available. So there's that option as well. Okay, that's interesting. People need, uh, do people need licences to, to hunt on and fish on private property as such? Uh, you've got to have permission from the owner, um, and you need to uh, you need to adhere to fish and games rules, whatever that is. You know, so you, you still, although farm owners don't need a license to hunt and fish on their. Oh, I could be wrong about fishing. I know duck shooting. You mm. don't. I'll, I'll get in trouble here. So you're getting me in trouble, Smithy. I don't know. Yeah, I need well, to find out. Okay. I, I, yeah. But but basically, well, normally owners have the right to hunt and fish on their own property. But fishing, I'm not sure. Someone can tell okay, us. Okay. Fair enough. Text. Yeah, someone maybe will. Um, okay, um, the other thing we, we spoke yesterday uh, to uh, one of our um, rural real estate um, people down there in Christchurch, and figures came to hand uh, illustrating the when properties are changing ha- hands in the rural industry now, um, the numbers are going down quite drastically, Andy. Uh, dairy properties yeah. uh, traded fell 38%, livestock properties 31%, Horticultural blocks as well by 57, Andy, 57%. That's massive numbers. Although, to be fair, Smithy, I think you'll find that that's off a very high um, base. So in the in the year before that, I think they were up 100 to 150%. So it's a bit like the old housing crisis. You know, prices rose significantly over the previous three or four years. They've come back, but they're still higher than they were. Um, I've actually talked to Nick Hawken, who's the National Director for Bailey's Rural today, um, talking about this very issue. And, and he said sheep and beef farmers' properties are going back um, 40% on the previous year in sales. Um, interestingly on that though, there's been some news overnight, some ETS changes and um, coming out from the government, the emissions trading scheme um, and, and we're not going to digest into that today because it's quite a complex topic but let's just say I think that might put the heat back into the um, carbon trading by the looks of what the government's done on that so we'll wait and see. But daring, all of those prices, Smithy, are based on returns at the moment. There's not great returns in farming and so um, people are saying this isn't actually a good time to get into it let's just um let's just hold on a bit pretty much i think that's what's going on here i say andy uh we're election year of course and it used to be that um to be fair i I think the rural vote went pretty heavily in favor of uh national um not quite sure where it went uh last time around but what are the burgeoning uh, election issues that might swing or sway and rural, and the rural side of things. Yeah, look, it's it's interesting and funny you should say that, Smithy. And I didn't even I didn't even prime you for this. I actually got Mark Patterson on the show today. He's New Zealand's first ag spokesperson. Um, so uh, we're going to talk. We're doing a series on all of the ag spokespeople for all of the major parties on the show coming up in the next three or four weeks or five weeks. Um, but the big issue is obviously uh, compliance, um, emissions trading. Emissions is a big issue. So those are big issues. And you know, if you're on the more conservative side of things, you're pushing back. If you're on the more progressive side of things you're thinking hey this is the way 
of the future. Uh, so that's a big issue. But also, um, you know, farming is a is a generational issue, and succession planning is really really difficult. So um, wealth taxes are a big issue, Smithy. I mean, if you've got a, a very expensive farm, um, you certainly don't want to be paid paying tax on an unrealised income. So you know, there's these issues, or there's these issues there as well. So a lot in the farming sector. ACT is actually making a big play. Um, they've picked up quite a bit of the rural vote and National are playing a little bit of catch-up. The interesting thing is where is New Zealand First going to come into this? Because they've also been quite conservative on farming issues as well. So you know, we might find a bit more out in our discussion today with Mark Patterson. Busy show coming up, folks, with Andy Thompson. Uh, it's around about uh, seven minutes away from kicking off, Andy. Good luck with the show. I uh, look forward to listening in and uh, we shall be back very shortly as also uh, to chat with uh, Mark Stafford to see what he has uh, coming up on his variety.